Ed Graney is out at OTAs today for the Raiders. We'll check in with him, hopefully, a little bit later in the show and see how this morning went for the Raiders. It's the first day the media can view OTAs. Adam Candy is in. Adam, what's the earliest you have left a Giants game? Well, I didn't leave Giants games as a child because it was a rare occurrence that I got to go to one. Okay. So okay. I stayed as long as I could. Okay. What is there a sporting event of your favorite team you've been to that you did leave really early? Ooh, I generally don't, but I will say uh, there have been a couple of Yankees Angels games over the years where people I've been with have been like, I can't take this anymore. Like we, we've got, we've got to go right. Like, like a game where the Yankees were going for a sweep in, uh, in Anaheim, they had like a six, one lead. They, they lost the lead. And my buddy I was with was like, this happens every time I'm here. I can't watch them do this. So <laughs> don't go with friends, Adam, go by yourself to game six of the world series and suffer through it. Listen, I, I don't call that suffering. I, I call that karma. All right, Danny, here we go. The first bite. Will Colin Kaepernick be the Raiders' backup quarterback in 2022? Colin Kaepernick worked out for the Raiders yesterday. He has not played in the NFL since 2016, and this was his first workout with an NFL team since then. Uh, Before we actually get into the idea of him being on the roster... Uh, I want to ask you a question that Vic Tafer kind of posed yesterday. Can Kaepernick really earn a shot to beat out Nick Mullins, Jarrett Stedham, and Chase Garbers for the Raiders' backup job? Or is this workout just something that Mark Davis wanted because he feels and respects Kaepernick? Do you believe this is a Mark Davis-driven workout that's not necessarily about Colin Kaepernick having a shot to make the team? I spent a lot of time thinking about this last night, Tyler, after the news came out, because what I want to believe is that this is a legitimate workout for Colin Kaepernick, who has been blackballed from the NFL for the better part of six years. And if the Raiders want to give Colin Kaepernick a shot at being the backup, then that makes perfect sense, considering Nick Mullins, Chase Garbers, Jared Stidham are not exactly you know the developmental quarterbacks that we would assume would be building their tools behind Derek Carr. It would be more along the lines of Marcus Mariota and having someone who is able to come in and maybe run some of these sub packages that Marcus Mariota did, right? Now, it's a different offense, it's different coaches, etc. But is it legit? And I don't know, because the first time Mark Davis talked about this was two years ago. Paul Gutierrez from ESPN had this discussion with him And Mark Davis said he would give his blessing to his coaches bringing in Colin Kaepernick. So do we assume that this is something that John Gruden resisted? Is is John Gruden, who we know has a documented history of, let's say, unkind things to say about uh, Colin Kaepernick's situation, would this be something where it was his fight off? Is it Mark Davis who really wanted it the whole time? Or, and let me ask you this question, Tyler. um, Does this timing of bringing Colin Kaepernick the day before the media is able to come in and ask questions for the first time in quite a while, 
Does this timing suggest that the Raiders, who have had a steady stream of negative press about uh, harassment lawsuits and so on um come their way recently is this timing not coincidental oh i like that i like that theory a lot um the only okay how many questions do you think the media was going to ask josh mcdaniels today about any of the the new york times story about the raiders not exactly being run well mistreating employees mistreating cheerleaders like how many questions do you think the head coach was actually going to get about those not many, quite yeah. honestly. I, I really don't think that, but I know now that now that we have the Colin Kaepernick story, it's probably going to be <laughs> yeah. just about the only thing that anyone has asked about for quite a while. So I, okay, the John Gruden angle is interesting because obviously we know what happened with John Gruden, and I think it's not uh, hard to draw the conclusion that John Gruden would have said no to bringing in Colin Kaepernick. I wonder... Is Mark Davis kind of true to his word, I guess, or true to the image that we get of Mark Davis about being like hands off? Like, did he hire Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler sort of as a combo to be the front office and the head coach? Did he hire them and completely sort of step away and just say, I'll approve or deny things, but it's it's your decisions to do things? Or is he more hands on than we're sort of led to believe? Because I still tend to operate under the idea that he did hire them and sort of said, yeah, you, you guys, you guys go for it. I'll approve or deny things. And if, if I still believe that, then I would lean towards this is McDaniels and or Ziegler pushing for this. But like you said, Mark Davis talked about this a couple of years ago. He brought it up again, like a month or two ago. Like he has mentioned this a few times himself. He has been, and this was before McDaniels and Ziegler. So there's a part of it that does make it that jumps out and says this is not legitimate. This is the Raiders A, Mark Davis doing it because maybe as Vic Tafer suggested, he feels and respects Colin Kaepernick. Or B, like you said, maybe they're trying to do something to uh, to avoid any questions, avoid any more stories like the New York Times had. And to play out the idea of Colin Kaepernick coming in in a less than let's say, forthright manner by the Raiders, we still have the fact that Mark Davis and John Gruden's situation is an uncomfortable topic because Mark Davis had an opportunity. If we want to talk about do you feel for and respect Colin Kaepernick and his mission of social justice, then why did we not hear a louder Mark Davis about John Gruden's situation? Because that was an opportunity to speak up about the sort of institutional racism that Colin Kaepernick has been protesting against for quite a long time. And yet the reaction we got from Mark Davis was not to that. The reaction we got was essentially pouting about the NFL doing this as a way to screw the Raiders. And I'm not saying he's wrong, but I am saying that I still have a hard time with the idea that this would just be Mark Davis doing this because he felt for Colin Kaepernick. He absolutely blew the John Gruden situation where he, what we know now is that he had all of the emails that the NFL had and he allowed John Gruden to coach that game against the Chicago bears. And ultimately John Gruden's resignation forced resignation didn't come until more emails were leaked. Mark Davis was going to be perfectly fine with having all those emails 
only one of those being leaked, the one where he said uh, DeMarie Smith had uh, rubber lips. Mark Davis was perfectly fine with that being out there, everything else being private, and John Gruden coaching. He was not going to make a move. It wasn't until more emails were leaked that John Gruden was forced to resign. He, Mark Davis completely blew that. From a standpoint of him trying to claim how much he cares about you know, political justice or whatever it is that he wants to claim he cares about, he completely blew it with the, uh, with the John Gruden resignation situation. Now, I think I can envision a scenario where he blew that but still might have a genuine, hey, I think Colin Kaepernick got screwed and Colin Kaepernick deserves a shot in the NFL. I think that's, while inconsistent, I think that's perfectly plausible for Mark Davis. So I I don't know that we'll get a legitimate answer to the question of how legitimate is Colin Kaepernick's tryout, unless, of course, he makes the team. But I, I do think there is reason to believe it is legitimate because I think he could make the roster, right? I do think it's possible for him to make the roster. The, the biggest question I have when it comes to this roster in particular, and I think you and I are going to spend a little bit of time talking about Colin Kaepernick, the quarterback on this show, but the biggest question I have is you traded actual draft capital for Jared Stidham. So I, that leads me to believe that if you invested a pick in Jared Stidham, then you envision that he's probably at least a serious contender for backup quarterback and you bring him in from a system that obviously he knows well, whereas you wouldn't be doing that with Colin Kaepernick, right? Like, would you imagine that it's a third quarterback situation for someone like Jared Stidham, right? Or maybe Jared Stidham is the guy who is only activated if Derek Carr gets hurt, whereas you've got Colin Kaepernick active every week running the Mariota role? That I could see. Yeah, I think the idea of there being three quarterbacks, if Kaepernick is to make the team, is what makes the most sense. Because the regardless of the pick they actually invested for Stidham, to me, when just when they tried to acquire and did acquire a guy that used to be a backup with the Patriots, just jumped out and said that they want that guy on their team because they want somebody here that knows exactly what uh, Josh McDaniels is trying to do. So what does that leave in terms of other quarterback jobs? A third job is a is a thing, but it's not usually on the active roster. And I guess the question becomes, are, are you at all worried that Jared Stidham uh, gets taken by another team? And I don't I don't think you would be right. I don't think he's in that high. The only team in the league that was going to give up a pick for Jared Stidham was Josh McDaniels and the Raiders. So I I have to imagine that is a plausible scenario where you keep Colin Kaepernick. He's the number two, and nobody else really wants Jared Sidham, so you just keep him around like they did with Nathan Peterman, and he's the number three. Yeah, and you have him there. I mean, let's say Derek Carr, you know, has another four or five week injury, then you can activate Jared Stidham and you can choose to put him in there if you want. The question for me is with Colin Kaepernick at this point of his career, he comes in for a workout. Uh, obviously, the last time Colin Kaepernick even had a workout, it was one that the NFL was sanctioning. It became a giant, giant mess uh, where Colin Kaepernick ended up having to go to a separate place uh, and, and run his own workout, essentially. So this is the first time it's been anything legitimate. And What does he expect? Because we keep talking about this as, as Colin Kaepernick as some sort of charity case, right, where someone has to give him a chance. Well, he's 34 years old at this point. He hasn't thrown a pass in the NFL since 2016, but at the same time, he's been very clear about the fact that he still believes he has something to offer. So I don't think Colin Kaepernick is coming into the Raiders or any other team that decides to bring him in for a workout as 
anything other than believing he has a legitimate shot to make the roster. Yeah, I have to imagine from his standpoint, he views this as this is this is my chance. I, I'm sure he's realistic about this is not his chance to beat out Derek Carr and start week one for the Raiders. But I have to imagine he's walking and thinking, this is a legitimate opportunity for me to win a job back in the NFL. I wonder, do you think the Raiders had to convince him of that? Do you think they had to sit down and say, hey, we'd like to bring you in for a workout and he may be backfired with, well... It, why like what like what for like what do you envision like do you think they had to answer that question to Colin Kaepernick to convince him this was real you know I think I'd be over my skis trying to say for sure but I'm just saying that if I'm in Colin Kaepernick's shoes I probably am quite wary of being used as a prop by anybody right and I don't think that he has uh, has shown anything in the last few years that would suggest he's willing to go that direction I mean the, the guy has been at the forefront of trying to do the right thing since 2016. And so beyond that, I don't see where he would be willing to engage in anything else. We will get more into Colin Kaepernick, the Raiders quarterback situation. Hopefully Ed Graney's going to join us a little bit later. But coming up next, I hope Adam Candy has an answer for the question we haven't figured out for two weeks. How the hell do you fix the NBA playoffs? We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Adam Candy in today for Ed Graney. Ed hopefully going to join the show at 9 o'clock from OTAs uh, out at the Raiders facility in Henderson. Uh, Unsurprisingly, we had another blowout in the NBA last night. It was... Kind of close in the third quarter, so we'll we'll take what we can get sometimes here. But Adam, Ed and I have spent like two weeks now, which is pretty much the time since the last actually close NBA playoff game, trying to figure out why we don't have close NBA playoff games. And I think I think we kind of have figured out why. It's three-point shooting variance has been ex- extreme for the last two uh, weeks. But is there a fix? Like, how, how do we get close games? Well, there are two reasons that we've had these NBA games over the last couple of weeks. One is that the Phoenix Suns choked. And (laughs) two is that the Miami Heat are banged up. And that's the biggest set of reasons as to why this has happened the way that it has. Because we all would have been excited about a Phoenix Golden State series that would have acted as a de facto NBA Finals. But of course, the Suns choked it away against Dallas. And, And here we have a Dallas team that is entirely live by the three and die by the three. And right now, we're catching the die-by-the-three side of the Dallas Mavericks for the most part, whereas they shot the lights out against Phoenix. On the other side of this thing, look, Kyle Lowry's not healthy. Jimmy Butler is not healthy. And also, Boston and Miami are two teams based upon defense. And so what are you going to get when you get a couple of teams based upon defense? Well, you get the Miami Heat scoring a total of 162 points in the last two games and missing a franchise record 38 three-pointers last night. Seven of 45 from three were the Miami Heat. That is 15.6%. As you said, Butler and Glowry. Uh Lowry was 0 for 6 from the floor. Jimmy Butler uh, better, but for... For 18, as uh, Ruby's not very happy with the NBA playoffs either. Um, I I think the defensive side of this, though, like we, Jared and I were joking earlier in the week, like those mid-2000s Pistons teams, they were ugly defensive teams that I hated watching, but at least they had some close games. 
at least there were some 82 to 80 games in there. This is just like, yeah, the Heat and Celtics are good defensively, but one of them's putting up like 110 every game, and the other one can't break 90. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown would have been, I mean, Jason Tatum would have been option number one on those Pistons teams without question. Uh, Jalen Brown and Rip Hamilton would have been fighting it out for, you know, who was the number two. Uh, they were elite defensively led by Ben Wallace, but this Boston team can be good offensively. It's not always good offensively, but they're actually, a if you enjoy defense, and Tyler, I know on some level, somewhere deep inside you, you enjoy watching the Boston defense. Uh, they are fun to watch. I lost count of the number of times last night that I muttered to nobody but the dog, oh, good D. Right. And, in, and individually, because normally we look at three point shooting and we say, well, good three point shooting versus bad three point shooting. The research says defense doesn't have a lot to do with it. Well, with Boston, it does. Boston is either forcing you to take late in the shot clock desperation kind of threes or they know exactly who to leave open because the last two shots of the third quarter that Miami missed from three. Do you know who they were taken by? Who were they taken by? They were taken by whichever of the Martin twins is on that roster. Ah, They're pretty yes. much the same player. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not exactly a situation that Boston minds. I think it's Caleb. If you say so. I think it's Caleb. I uh, Do you know the, which which Morris twin plays for which team? Oh, not not at any okay. time. No, okay, no, 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 just, no, no, no. Just checking. Okay, I I don't need it. I have no idea which Martin twin plays for which team either. Um, I I do appreciate uh, the Celtics defensively. I think they're they've been very good. And if you go if you go through the the rounds here, the Nets had a 115 offensive rating against uh, the Celtics, but the Nets are an offensive juggernaut. They can't defend anybody. They held Milwaukee, who granted didn't have Chris Middleton, but they held Milwaukee to an offensive rating of 99.7 which would have been far and away the worst offense in the NBA during the regular season, way worse than the Oklahoma City Thunder. So far in this round, they're holding Miami to 104, which is also tremendous defense. And honestly, there's only really been two quarters where the Miami Heat have been just unbelievable offensively in this series. Outside of that, Boston's defense has been about as shut down as it possibly can be for two straight rounds. And I am curious to see... I. You, you you mentioned their Golden State Phoenix is a de facto NBA uh, Finals. I'm curious to see what Boston's defense looks like against Golden State. And I, I think Boston might have a legitimate shot to actually defend them well enough to win that series. Well, our friend Jonathan Von Tobel believes Boston's the best team in the NBA. I asked him this question uh, over on Raider Nation Radio last week. It said, do you think either of these teams has a chance? And he's a real believer in Boston's defense. You mentioned the rating that... They held Milwaukee to Boston, led the NBA in defensive rating over the second half of this regular season. I'm not surprised at all to say it. And what do we see? Tatum can lock down. Jalen Brown can lock down. Robert Williams is outstanding defensively. And, and Al Horford basically was built to be this kind of uh, Boston defender. So yeah, they can defend all positions when they need to. And so that's going to be a tough situation for the Warriors, but the trick of it is, you just said the the Nets are an offensive juggernaut. Well, they're a two-person offensive juggernaut, and and that's those are two elite players. But Golden State, if we end up with a Boston Golden State final, Golden State's a different story. Golden State has a minimum of four players 
who can go off at any given time in Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, and Poole. So I'm not saying Boston can't do that. I'm just saying they have not faced that particular challenge yet in the playoffs. Right. It's defending the Warriors and defending the the Nets, not really running a single offensive set for an entire series, is going to be basically two different things for the Boston Celtics defense and not Milwaukee without Middleton and Miami right now don't really give you a good comparable to what the Golden State Warriors can do. I do think the interesting part about this Golden State Warriors team, their floor is significantly lower than, you know, the three championship Warriors teams were. Like they 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 lost to the Grizzlies by 50 something points at one point in this playoff run. Their floor is much lower and I think they hit their floor a lot more often than a previous Warriors team did. So there is I think there will be enough openings for if the Boston Celtics don't have one of these horrific offensive games that they'll, they'll have a shot to win a few games simply because Golden State plays poorly. And then if they can go win a couple on their own merit, they can win the series. So is Golden State's floor lower because they are a team with more variance? Or is this intentional, Tyler? Because to me, it looks intentional by Steve Kerr. He knows that Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are older slash coming off injury. And I think when Steve Kerr senses it's one of those games where they're down 15 in the third quarter, he's not chasing it. Now, come the NBA Finals, he might be willing to chase it. That might be the time where he's willing to push it. But we just saw it in game four, right? Um, By the time they were down big in the third quarter, he's like, nah, I don't think I need to push my stars in a 3-0 series to go try to chase this game. We'll just go ahead and take care of business back home. So let's see. They lost big to the Warriors while leading 2-1, and then they lost big to the Warriors while leading 3-1. Or I got that two. What Do I have that backwards? Oh, no, they blew out the Grizzlies. I'm looking at the wrong games. Yes, when they were up 3-1, they got absolutely crushed by the Grizzlies, which sort of implies that there's no need to necessarily chase it when you're coming back home for game six and a chance to close them out. And a similar situation here. You're up 3-0. You're coming back home with a chance to finish the series off. If you're down by a lot, no chance to chase it. I, you've given me two good theories here already with uh, with Kaepernick earlier and now with, with Steve Kerr basically saying, ah, we kind of suck tonight. Let's just uh, hold off a little bit and let's get them next game. I, I like this theory too. Well, why, thank you. It's only 729, by I the know. way. Uh, I, I might have even more in me this morning. That's, if I have anything in me in the first half hour of this show, it's a pretty good sign. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. The man does not like pie or syrup on his pancakes. No clue why we're talking to him, but it is time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Good morning, Jason. Uh, before we get into any Raider stuff, I have an important question for you. How was Phil on the Paul Feinbaum show? Oh, I'm not done. I got to fill in for Paul. I get to, not got to, oh. I should say. I get, I get more Feinbaum all week. I, I, you know, I am spending the week talking just name, image, likeness, yelling at people <laughs> and being yelled at for four hours a day. It is, and then they stir each other up and yell at each other. It's a and the, the Feinbaum audience, they're an angry bunch. I, I don't know. Like For a bunch of happy Southerners, boy, they all need some whiskey in the middle of the day. Would would you consider yourself sitting in Paul Feinbaum's shoes as the reason they're angry or the therapist for people that already are angry? It depends on the caller. I mean, I did have one person on air the other day tell me I'm the worst host he's ever heard in the history of any radio anywhere. <laughs> so, you know, that, that that's a real thing that happened to 
But, you know, at the same time, then you have a lot of supporting people that are super nice. It depends on the person. Uh, unsolicited story here that you didn't ask for, but would you like to hear about the first time I ever met Paul Feinbaum in my life? Probably, yes, I would. Okay, so I'm at uh, ESPNU uh, at the time on a little show that nobody watched about college football, and it was me and Mike Ola Jr. and Elika Sadegi together. And it was my first ever show, first ever TV uh, anything for ESPN. And it's in the same place where the SEC network is in Charlotte, same building. So I walk into the green room and, you know, Mike and Marcus Spears and Greg McElroy and all these people are hanging out there. And, uh, you know, they were changing. Uh, there's a little green room, like changing area. And that's where Marcus was getting, you know, the tie on and, and getting good looking for the SEC network. So at the time, so I didn't have any, any spot to get dressed and I needed to. So I was like, all right, I'll just go to the men's room. So I go to the men's room, and there's only one stall in the men's room, and somebody's in it. I'm like, well, I don't have time, so I'm just going to take a quick second here and you know, change into my suit for this, uh, for this TV debut that I get to make. And so I, just the minute I drop my pants and I'm standing in the men's room uh, in my underwear is when Paul Feinbaum walks in and just stops, just stops and looks at me. And I was like, hey, I'm Fitz. And he's like, mm-hmm, I'm Paul. And that was, that, that was it. So the first time I ever met Paul – I was pantsless in the men's room of the SEC network. And you have met him since then, I assume? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul and I are, are good friends at this point, and he is great and wonderful. But uh, he, I think he blushes more than I do every time I tell that story. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Raiders, OTAs today. The media gets to go out there for the first time, maybe ask some questions, maybe see – some stretching, maybe nothing else, but they brought in Colin Kaepernick for a workout yesterday. I'm curious on your end, how legitimate do you think this workout is? Like, hey, Colin Kaepernick could actually win a roster spot, be a backup quarterback for the Raiders versus a symbolic, maybe Mark Davis is just trying to do something to get good PR or do a favor for somebody that he respects, like you said in the past. I think there's a couple of, of angles to this. Number one, I don't think Mark right now wants any uh, publicity that he doesn't have to have that can turn into negative publicity. And the Kaepernick story, while it has some positives, also uh, will have at some point, if he doesn't get a roster spot, then people will start to yell and scream about whether it was real and et cetera. So I, I'm not sure that Mark Davis would see the risk long-term as worth it. You know, So to me, if you're bringing Colin Kaepernick in the building, you're bringing him in the building very intentionally. So I, I don't think it's a, a, a farce at all. The one thing that I will never forget, and you know, I was lucky enough to call Floyd Reese a, a close friend, and Floyd had been the GM of the Titans for years, and he's no longer with us. But you know, I was on radio in Nashville on the same station Floyd was on. And I asked Floyd years ago about the Colin Kaepernick situation at the time. And what always stuck in my head was, was Floyd said, if you're the GM, that signs Colin Kaepernick at any point. You also have to be the GM that knows you're comfortable cutting Colin Kaepernick because that's always going to be a conversation, especially if it's a backup quarterback. Those roster spots aren't necessarily always secure, right? So one thing that I think we have to remember is that organizationally, you bring somebody in like that, you have to be comfortable if you sign him, also knowing that at some point that person may not get the job so uh, or may not keep their job, and that can be a whole other layer. So if the Raiders brought him in, uh, to me, it means they must be very comfortable knowing all of the ins and outs, the goods and the bads that can come from the conversation around the player. But also, 
if Colin Kaepernick can help the Raiders win football games, then my God, I, this team is in win now mode. So the the one thing that you have to do is make sure that you are addressing the quarterback room in a way that gives you the best shot to win. God forbid, should there be any issue with Derek Carr. When we look, Jason, at the fact that the first time we saw a public quote from Mark Davis about this was to ESPN's Paul Gutierrez about two years ago, and then he reiterated it recently that he would give his blessing to Colin Kaepernick being brought in by the football staff. Do you think we should be drawing a line back to John Gruden on this with what we know about the John Gruden emails, et cetera, that John Gruden was resistant to this? Are we inferring too much to that? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's a fair if, – if he turns around and signs today, then that, uh, you know, what, that tells us two things, that the current, uh, the current coaching staff believes that he can help uh, this organization win and that, uh, yes, it does tell you that the previous organization didn't believe that he could help them win. The one thing I would say to that, though, is how much conversation is the backup quarterback really worth over the course of the last few years? Like, with the Raiders' trajectory over the last three years have been drastic or two years, had been drastically different if they had a different backup quarterback on the roster? I don't think so. So did it actually change anything? No. Does it speak to a lack of willingness to bring somebody in? Yes. Does that necessarily mean that, that John Gruden did it for you know negative reasons? I mean, like I said, there are some, you know, Floyd Reese was one of the kindest, gentlest souls I've ever met in my life. I don't think he would have brought in Colin Kaepernick because of all of the conversation that it creates. So I don't think it necessarily paints you into a corner. It just means that you look at the, the risk-reward. And, and I've said for years, is the risk of having a backup quarterback that is a massive conversation nationally, is that worth the reward that you get from having a better backup quarterback? I, I don't know the answer to that. Strictly a football sense, you've got a 34-year-old who has not played in, what are we looking at, five, six seasons in the NFL I know, it's, I know you're not sitting here with uh, expertise on how good Colin Kaepernick is right now, but how realistic does that scenario sound that a 34-year-old who hasn't played in five or six seasons can beat out, even though they're not the greatest names, it's still Jarrett Stidham or Nick Mullins or whoever else is fighting for this backup quarterback job? Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a, a stagger. I mean, that's a punch in the gut to Jarrett Stidham, particularly who, remember, it wasn't that long ago, reporters in, in Boston were trying to convince us that Stidham was actually the future plan at quarterback. For the Patriots, so like that will talk about a fall from grace, you know. And if you're Nick Bowens, you're somebody that has at least capably been able to keep people on board, right? So uh, on track, I should say. So uh, I think that would be a pretty staggering statement to the two of them. And also, I'm not necessarily always the biggest fan of any backup quarterback that doesn't align exactly with the way your offense is going to run for your starting quarterback. So you know, the question is. Is Kaepernick basically, you know, if, if we believe that that uh, you know that Derek Carr is really high end vodka, is uh, is Colin Kaepernick at least capable of being the same kind of vodka, but maybe a slightly lesser brand? Because that's what I think you need. Like I don't understand the concept of having a backup quarterback that runs offenses completely differently than the starter. So you know, I understand why there's value to somebody at the time like Mariota that can come in and run a handful of plays. Like that's cute, but at some point. Your backup quarterback needs to be able to execute your offense. So I, I think it would be a, a massive shock to me if if, Cal, if Colin Kaepernick, after this many years off, is that person. Do you have every quarterback in the NFL uh, as a high-end vodka or a cheap vodka or a different type of alcohol? Do you have that analogy fully <laughs> fleshed out? No, but I will tell you this: I did say, uh, you know, last week uh, talking to Eddie Pascal with the Raiders. 
But I think that sometimes what we do with teams, and, and frankly with quarterbacks too, is we get so obsessed with somebody who says, well, he's a top 10 quarterback. And look, I, I, I want to say this loudly. I think the phrase top 10 quarterback really means top 10-ish. Like I don't think most people that say it really sat down and said, okay, here's my list of 10 quarterbacks that are better or worse than this guy. But I do think that we should start to look at all of this in tiers. So to that end, like when you walk into a bar, you don't say, give me your fourth best vodka. You say, you know, if I, if I walk in and I say I want an old-fashioned, they say, what kind of whiskey do you want? I usually say something in the range of bullet because I know what that's going to be, right? So to me, you, you, we got to start looking at quarterbacks in the range that they are in. Like some quarterbacks are well, you know, it's like, hey, this was the sale that got you in the door, and some quarterbacks are great goose. And, like, it's okay to have all of those, like, you know, sometimes I like Kettle One, sometimes I like Tito's, and it doesn't mean that I have to sit down and rank them. They're all sort of in this tier. Yeah, I think Kettle One versus Tito's is kind of having the car versus cousins discussion. We probably could spend a whole segment uh, on that, but let's go a different direction with that. Uh, Jason, you just talked about the fact that you've been uh, filling in for Paul Feinbaum having the uh, the NIL discussion. Of course, uh, we waded deeply into the Jimbo versus Saban uh, waters last week. What have you heard uh, from your callers regarding uh, Jimbo and Saban? Yeah, everybody thinks the other person is lying and that their favorite coach is the one that's telling the truth. And here's the thing that's inexcusable to me about all of the guys. Like, at the end of the day, when you are a head coach of a college football program, you are the number one highest paid person from that college, and you wear that logo on your chest. And with that comes accountability to how you act, what you say, and what you do. So for Nick Saban to come out and make absolute accusations about Jimbo and uh, the way that they've done recruiting – without bringing any proof of concept, all he's doing is being mean girls at that point. Like he's coming out and just relying on the gossip train. And that I don't think it's wrong to, to demand better. And then for Jimbo to turn around and say, well, look at his record, and he's got plenty of skeletons in his closet, essentially. Okay, well, bring me receipts for both of them. What they did is they came out and they argued like 12-year-old children. And I won't accept that from anybody that's supposed to be paid $10-plus million per year to represent an institution of higher learning. Like, if you're going to stand in front of a microphone, knowing the power that your words have, and you're going to speak in vague terms instead of bringing receipts, then you deserve whatever hell comes down on you for it. Because at the end of the day, both of those coaches know better, and they should be better. And if their players had said the same things in press conferences that they said, they would have ripped those players apart. So I think it's inexcusable from both of them. I think they're both acting like children. I think they're both talking through both sides of their mouth, and neither of them want to bring any receipts. So I don't think they deserve any of the credit they get from the conversations they're having about it. If you need a content idea for the Feinbaum show, just sit down and make every SEC coach a certain alcohol. Oh, you know what? I might steal that from you today. Like, yeah. what tier? What tier of whiskey is your favorite team in? Yeah. Like, we're gonna go. We're gonna go all alcohol themed. And uh, I'm telling you, by the by the fourth hour, uh, I, I might have to. I might have to have a little glass with me. Let's see how it goes. There you go. He's Jason Fitz. Hear him filling in today on the Paul Feinbaum show. Jason, as always, we appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate you guys. So, there, Fitz, uh, giving us quarterbacks as alcohol and apparently you might be able to get sec coaches as alcohol coming up next colin kaepernick does he is he actually any good could he actually be a backup quarterback in the nfl it's the press box with graney and bischoff on espn las vegas adam candy sitting in today for ed graney hopefully we will talk dead graney in an hour or so out at otas from raiders camp 
The Raiders yesterday brought in Colin Kaepernick for a workout. Kaepernick hasn't played in the NFL since 2016. Uh, he has not had a workout for a team since then either, uh, but the Raiders gave him one yesterday. We talked a lot about the the off-field uh, implications and scenarios and what we're trying to figure out exactly is going on here. But just from an on-field standpoint, 34-year-old Colin Kaepernick hasn't played since 2016. How realistic is it that he could beat out Jarrett Stidham, Nick Mullins, and actually be the second-best option at quarterback for the Raiders this season? It's more a question about Nick Mullins and Jarrett Stidham than it is about Colin Kaepernick. I think we know who Colin Kaepernick was as an NFL quarterback, and that's something that doesn't often get fact discussion. What have we seen from Nick Mullins? We saw that Kyle Shanahan was able to turn him into someone usable for the San Francisco 49ers over the course of a couple of years. Uh, we don't really know much about Jarrett Stidham, and I think it speaks volumes that, you know, that, the New England Patriots don't want him around anymore. So whenever Bill Belichick trades somebody, I start to ask the question, why did Bill Belichick trade that person? Because he tends to know when it's time for someone to go. On the Colin Kaepernick side of things, I went back and and thankfully there are some old grades to dive into. And Colin Kaepernick by Pro Football Focus grades in 2012 when he took the 49ers to the Super Bowl was the ninth rated quarterback. He was 23rd for the next two years and then everything fell off a cliff after that, but I think it's important to recognize that we didn't get to see Colin Kaepernick with any sense of continuity for years because he, he got injured in 2015. And by the way, he was first uh, three years. His head coach was Jim Harbaugh, right? Who was his head coach in 2015? That's a long time ago. Who was his head coach in 2015? Jim Tom Sula. <laughs> was the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers <laughs> in 2015. Jeep Christ was the offensive coordinator. Yeah, and then by 2016, when Blaine Gabbert had already beaten him out for the job and he had gone through a season in which he was both uh, dealing with a thumb injury and a uh, shoulder injury and knee problems as well, then it was Chip Kelly. And then it's Chip Kelly bringing in his circus offense. And so... In these last three years, Colin Kaepernick had three different head coaches, three different offensive coordinators, three injuries. What we saw with Colin Kaepernick was that he could play when he was kind of left alone to play. And I think the flip side of him being 34, Tyler, is that he's not 34 where he's had wear and tear on yeah. him from ages yeah. 28 to 34. <laughs> he's 34, but yeah, might uh, have football age of like 28 instead. I... It's curious to see, and obviously, right, it's not like any of us have any idea of what Colin Kaepernick looks like right now. It's not like we have any idea what, even if even if we got to so see the workout today or yesterday, that wouldn't even really give us a good enough clue, I don't think, to be like, oh, yeah, Colin Kaepernick, he's got it. He's much better than Jarrett Stidham. I, I think it's interesting the idea of, of Belichick moved on from Jarrett Stidham, and that might be a red flag. I think there might be an element of Bill Belichick was like, you want to give up a pick for Jarrett Stidham? Well, nobody else is going to do that, so I might as well take the pick, whether or not he thought Sidham was done or not. Was like, of course, I'll take the pick for him. Um, I, man, I would love to see Kaepernick like actually on the roster and legitimately competing with Stidham or Mullins, whoever it ends up being, 
for that number two job. Like, I would love to see that be a real competition and not just a, hey, Kaepernick works out today, and that's it. We don't hear anything else about it. They decide to move on from Like, I would like to see at least that opportunity because Colin Kaepernick, and even though it's a long time ago, like you said, he was he was one of the 10 best quarterbacks in football by pro football focus. It's like a decade ago, basically. But there is a lot more upside for, oh, Derek Carr got hurt. Who's coming in? There's a chance at 34 and haven't played in six years. Colin Kaepernick could be good, but there's also a chance that he's 34 and hasn't played in six years, and and Colin Kaepernick's a disaster. But we won't have really any idea unless we actually get to see something, which I don't know if we will. So let me read you some quotes from 2016 when Colin Kaepernick was coming back from injury, and of course this was the season where the anthem protests began. Uh, for Colin Kaepernick. And this was after a week seven game against Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Gerald McCoy, Buccaneers defensive tackle, said, quote, he's still Kaepernick. This is his second game. I thought he looked better from last week to this week. Uh, Buccaneers defensive tackle, Akeem Spence. He still definitely has the foot speed and the playmaking ability. The arm is very strong. He's still running like Gazelle. Brent Grimes, cornerback, said he looked like Kaepernick. You've got to account for him all the time. He made a lot of plays when stuff broke down. And what I found most interesting about those quotes, Tyler, is when they say things like, he looks like Kaepernick, he's still Kaepernick. Those are compliments that players give to other high, high, high end players. Those are not compliments that they give to Blaine Gabbert, uh, who replaced Colin Kaepernick in 2015. So, Other players looked at Colin Kaepernick as an elite talent. And I don't know that at 34, he's going to be as slippery as he was in 2016. But when they talk about the arm, when they talk about the running ability for a guy who has not had any NFL miles on him for the better part of six years, I I want to believe physically that there's still something there. I... I bet somebody somewhere has said, hey, he's still Blaine Gabbard. It just wasn't as a compliment. Ugh. <laughs> Unfortunately, so they probably say it about us too, right? They probably say it about, yeah, he's still Bischoff. Like, uh, yeah, we know what that means. The people that turn on the radio once a month who don't like me give me, I don't know how many people give me another shot. That's not like most people, but yeah. That'd be oh, no, no, no. Um, you're, you're, you're not the type of vodka that you drink more than once. No, oh, if you don't, if you don't go. like, if you don't like Tyler Bischoff as a vodka, you just go ahead and move over to gin. There we go. Wait, what kind of vodka is Blaine Gabbert? Uh, vodka that someone else has already put into their mouth and spit back into a glass. <laughs> Backwash vodka, otherwise known as Blaine Gabbert. <laughs>